0: Getting paid has become dramatically more complex for growing software companies. You've got to manage different currencies, new payment methods, changing regulations, tax regimes, failed payments, and fraud. Payment stacks built piece by piece grow unruly and force SaaS companies to waste time and money on updates and integrations. Paddle is the only complete payments infrastructure for SaaS companies. Paddle handles all of your payment processing, tax collection, and compliance. Invoicing, subscription management, renewals, reporting, and fraud protection globally. With Paddle, you'll grow faster and enjoy the journey more. Visit Paddle.com to find out more.
1: Having a really strong network and nurturing people for a very long time. So I think hiring is one of my superpowers. I have an amazing team they're all really, really good. But I also nurtured people, my head of marketing, for example, I brought on in January, but I started talking to her a year before. I knew I didn't need a head of marketing until I raised my seed round, but I wanted her to be my head of marketing and she had another job. And I just like nurtured her for an entire year so that when I was ready, she was also ready and she took the job and started. So I think like really building and fostering a, a strong network of talent around you that's in all different spaces, design, engineering, sales, marketing, I think is really, really important.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, Uh, Barbara Gago, uh, who is the CEO and founder of Pando. Welcome, Barbara.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah, great to have you uh, on the podcast. Whereabouts are you uh, calling in from?
1: Amsterdam. I've been here for, yeah, about two and a half years.
0: And uh, were you in or are you in Amsterdam uh, because you were uh, CMO at Miro uh, uh, previously?
1: It was one of the stepstones that brought my husband and I here. Uh, He's European already. So he had been in the US for like 15 years and we wanted a a little bit of a break. So it was an easy transition to make right before yeah. the pandemic but it's been good
0: lovely city actually I can imagine well I don't know if it's okay to say this but uh, I'll say it anyway but Amsterdam may have been even nicer during the pandemic because it would be a lot was. quieter yeah. um, it's, it can be very busy you know as as, as you know at certain times so just imagine the beautiful architecture in the streets and just peace uh, it would have been quite nice yeah.
1: it's been nice I mean it's starting to get a bit more touristy, touristy but. Uh, yeah, over the last several months, we've had really nice weather, and it's just a magical place. So yeah, we're happy.
0: It's, been, it's <laughs> yeah. been a while. I'll uh, I'll hopefully come back. We're pl- actually planning to do a SAS dot local Amsterdam uh, event. So it's kind of like a large sort of meetup. Uh, actually, um, it, it may be in Miro's uh, offices. Uh, it, cool. it may not be, but uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be doing something soon. Um, awesome. But um, anyway, uh, Barbara. Uh, Barbara um, Tell us a little bit about yourself uh, uh, as a person, uh, and uh, let's start with that.
1: So I am from California. I was born and raised there. I spent most of my life there, uh, first in Southern California, and then I moved up to the Bay Area when I was 17 uh, to go to school. Um, Interestingly, I studied fashion and was in the fashion industry for a few years uh, before and living in New York before coming back to San Francisco and then getting into tech by way of having one of the first kind of women's blogs at the time, there was a lot of tech-focused blogs like in Gadget, And I created one uh, with a partner that was called Skimplistic, and this kind of launched me into my career in tech. Um, I think I've always been sort of entrepreneurial, like in high school, I didn't have a regular Job. I would make jewelry and go sell it at boutiques at the beach. Um, I would go to music events and see that you could have a booth, and then I would set up a booth. Even when I was a kid, I and I wanted money to go buy candy or do something. I would whip up some homemade bookmarks and go door to door and sell them. <laughs> so I've always been uh, spending my time doing kind of early stage and entrepreneurial things. Um, Most of my career I've spent in Silicon Valley, uh, just moving to Europe over the last couple of years and really focused on kind of disruptive tech and early, early tech that that we first had to sell to early adopters. And, you know, that's common for disruptive tech, but first in sort of sales and marketing automation and then enterprise social networking and then people tech tools and then enterprise collaboration. And now I'm back to people tech.
0: Cool. Uh, very cool. Thanks for sharing that. And so you are, uh, say, the founder and CEO of Pando. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, that. So, what, you know, the, the founding story uh, would be great. And also, you know, what does Pando do? Well, you know, why, why have you built this company?
1: Yes. So, Pando is an employee progression platform. Our goal basically is to kill performance reviews altogether. And the vision is to is sort of get companies to a just in time promotion model. Um, we've gone agile pretty much everywhere else in the organization, except for when it comes to people and performance management is notoriously painful and really ineffective and filled with a lot of emotions and fear and all kinds of things. Um, we do that like by helping companies anchor performance ratings, feedback, goals, achievements with individuals, like with a, a person's individual level, as well as set up competencies based on their role. So everything is like hyper contextualized, but it's also a way to make what used to be pretty quantitative, a bit more qualitative, uh, sorry, something that used to be qualitative, more quantitative. Um, When I was at Miro, actually, I built out leveling and career frameworks uh, with competencies for the team there that I uh, overtook when I joined, Um, Many of them had been at the company for a while. They didn't really know what their career path was. And I had done this before at previous roles. So I did that there and that quickly snowballed into a lot of people either wanting to join marketing because there was these career frameworks and levels and competencies um, or other team, like people from different teams that were just kind of demanding that they had it in their function. So I ended up leading this whole process uh, and... At the end of the day, we did like what most companies end up doing, which is building these great frameworks, having competencies, having levels, giving a little bit more transparency to employees, but ultimately them feeling like, okay, well, this is great, but now what? So it wasn't actionable and there wasn't a way to really use it. And it was pretty disconnected from any performance or anything like that. Um, And so... When I left Miro, I wanted to solve this problem. And ultimately, that's what we're doing now.
0: Very cool. Um, I'm sure many listening and certainly myself, I feel when you talk about performance reviews, I kind of almost flinch a, a little bit uh, just in terms of the experiences that I, I've had in in, in in the past, right? And yeah, uh, yeah um, uh, so definitely welcome a change uh, you know, around that, and um uh so uh, so great stuff to kind of see that there's uh, a big, that is coming
1: there's just like a big demand, I think too, with like great resignation and this whole like reshuffling and people working everywhere and more remote work, like the old way of doing this, it was already not great, but now, hmm. with everybody totally distributed, managers aren 't really managing people by being with them anymore. Um, everybody is kind of distributed and there, with lack of structure and transparency around where am I at in my career at this company? What is my next step? How do I actually get there? It really is amplified in that context where employees just don't feel like they have a path and they're likely going to go somewhere that they feel that they'll get that.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. We've seen that uh, a lot. And uh, so um, what, what data can you share behind uh the company uh, obviously recently formed. Can you uh, like a founding date? Uh, VC backed or bootstrapped? How yeah. many people? Any any metrics you can share of, of where sure. you're at at the moment?
1: So we we actually just announced uh, about seven million in funding. Uh, I founded the company at the end of 2020 in September. Um, we raised a small pre-seed at that time, and then last year in December we raised five million from Craft Ventures. Uh, we also had Lira Hippo leading in that round. And then we're working with global founder capital from Europe. So we have a nice balance of West East coast of the U S and then also in Europe, which kind of represents sort of how the team is spread out as well. Um, We are just kind of, we've been very focused on launching the product. We launched it uh, mid year last year and we've been building crazily since then. Uh, we have about 20 employees at the company, so we scaled very quickly after raising um, our seed round in December. We have about 15 customers, um, so we're just kind of ramping up on that end. We just announced funding and kind of, I would say, went public, let's say, with Pando uh and so we've already had a number of customers um renewing at least and in most cases they're expanding over 50% which is really exciting
0: Very cool um yeah. cause I and I did see the um the announcement I think it was yesterday or the day before Yeah um, and so um yeah great to great to see that uh so, uh, so so congrats so the the company is yeah you say founded uh, in 2020 so less than 20 month, uh, 24 months old uh, i think yeah. you, you shared a couple of things that you've been doing there but so what what over the last 24 months from what you've been doing what has worked well that you can share that people can kind of learn from um, from a business you know kind of at your stage what hasn't worked necessarily so well and you, you wouldn't repeat uh, but also people could learn from
1: Um, I think for us, the biggest kind of like, well, first of all, what we've been really focused on is uh, finding customers and getting customers who are aligned with this vision. What we're trying to do is sort of shift the mindset of how companies approach this problem. So it's not like an easy thing to do. It's going to take time and it's going to take years, but ultimately there are companies who are ready to embrace it. So I think we're being extremely focused on who we target and how we target them um i think that's like one of the big takeaways in terms of early customer development we have to identify companies uh that not only have you know from an icp perspective not only have the company size and the structure and location and you know what type of business they are at etc but also sort of the mindset or values. And it's not the easiest thing to sort of uncover. So mm. I think a lot of that has um, come out of leveraging the network that I've built over my career in people tech and in tech in general, a lot of community based kind of cells through referrals and people having shared values. Um, we have built Like, we're very early to have a target account list, but we have built a target account list. Uh, We have 300 companies that we sort of identified and scrutinized at that level to make sure that we're at least proactively targeting the right kind of companies. Um, And then essentially, you know, playing it by ear with companies who are coming inbound. I think the biggest challenge, I, I don't know that it hasn't worked, but because Pando has an opinion uh not all software has an opinion but ours does uh, it means that companies really have to have the right profile and really have to be aligned with what we're trying to do because otherwise they'll just be like Ugh, they don't want to do it i think there's a big appetite for companies um for products to have an opinion though in this space because a lot of companies just need help and they don't know what to do and they don't know how to do it and managers also need a lot of help but that's one thing that's definitely something we have to navigate in terms of how we position and how we continue to develop the market. Um, you know we're pushing that fundamental shift so it's gonna be a lot of finding the right companies initially and then getting the rest of the industry to realize that yeah, that's the right way to do it
0: <laughs> awesome um, and you you've been a, a a cMO and you you know a sort of senior. Uh, or or, you know very uh, uh, sort of high level in marketing for a large part of your career Um, how has the transition been uh, to becoming then you know a founder uh, and CEO I guess it would be sort of interesting assuming that you know there are let's say some CMOs or other kind of C-suite VP levels that are you know potentially thinking about you know becoming founders or will become founders uh, you know in the future you know any learnings that you can share around that that you've had?
1: I mean honestly I feel like being a CMO is a great training ground for becoming a founder and also being a CEO because at least in the roles that I've had in B2B tech you're operating and sort of needing to be strategic across so many different dimensions if that's pricing or the product or feedback from customers that then gets to the product customer acquisition brand positioning etc so I think if you're extremely customer focused which I have been you spend a lot of time with customers it really helps you sort of develop a product mindset because you're really just constantly listening for those things that they're saying that they struggle with that they have problems in their day to day if you're really listening to that i think it it really gives you that product mindset so even coming out of marketing and not really being a product leader i feel like i'm very well equipped to have the vision that helps my customers solve the problems that they have. Um, so I think it's, yeah, CMO is a really hard job. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot that you're responsible for. There's a lot of moving parts. Uh, it's also very high stakes. So I feel, yeah, I feel like it's a, a, a reasonably good segue into this, this particular role. Um, Definitely. I've been very early stage, uh, operator throughout my career when I joined greenhouse, um, we we had thirteen employees. I was I think the seventh at Culture Ramp. So, I've always been doing very early stage operating. So I'm not not I'm used to rolling up my sleeves and sort of building. Um, the most exciting part about being the CEO now is just building the team that then builds all the infrastructure for all the pieces. So it's great.
0: Good. I, I read occasionally or see occasionally that um, it's an advantage if uh, a company has a CEO that understands marketing and I think, uh, uh, <laughs> in your case, uh, you, you definitely, uh, uh, would have that right. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. And I've been very lucky that all of the CEOs, well, not all of them, but the ones that I've done the most, the best work for have understood marketing. I think Miro is a great example. Um, when I joined Miro, it was called Real Time Board and I almost didn't join because that's what it was called. And I was like, I don't think this can be big with that name. Like who's I mean, Real Time Board? It's so literal. And I was like, okay, well, do I think these these guys are gonna let me change the name? Like, do they believe in that? And ultimately I decided, yes, they do, and they did. And we, you know, I got to lead that initiative to like rename the company, rebrand it, and it was hugely rewarding for me, but also for the community. And it really like took off after that. So I think, yeah, founders, CEOs that even if they don't know what they're doing with marketing, but they appreciate it and understand that's like a really big lever for building long lasting and defensible brands and businesses. It's the best.
0: Yeah, no, definitely amazing, and I I didn't know that. So um, uh, about Miro, and what it used to be called, and I think yeah. the brand the brand is super strong uh, right now, and they're a, a real rocket ship, right? So uh, uh, yeah, no, great stuff. And so we 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 mentioned that uh, literally, like you you know, yesterday uh, you've announced and gone public with the, the scene round with with craft ventures that I think you closed in uh, in December. I think you mentioned and. Yeah. Tell us why uh, I know they weren't the only investors, and you actually mentioned you've got West Coast, East Coast, and in uh, Europe. Uh, I guess why Craft and you, you know what was the the story there, um, and then maybe even you, you know with these additional uh, uh, investors to complete the round. Um, you, you know, tell us a little bit about the story of you know how that came to be and why these particular uh, investors.
1: So, Leer Hippo and Global Founder Capital were uh, our. So Lear Hippo led our pre-seed, so we raised like one point six the December before, and Global Founder Capital was a co-lead in that. Uh, And they, I think, with Lear Hippo, we really connected on the vision. They have a big thesis sort of around millennials and how this is evolving. Well, and also Gen Z and how this is evolving. How people and employees interact on all across all the dimensions. And so they really understood uh, the value of what we were doing. We really wanted a partner in Europe. Um, and I really like the team that we're working with uh, in terms of global founder capital It with craft. It was actually kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe it was kismet because I had a short list. The first time I raised funding, you know, I, I had a lot of contacts, but I also hadn't done it before. So I had like a very big funnel and I was spending time with people that didn't make sense to spend time with because maybe they invest at later stages, but I was just kind of learning and figuring it out. So when we did the seed round, I was like, okay, these are the VCs that I want to talk to. Craft, I pretty much just wanted to work with because I have other founder colleagues that work with them that really like them. Um, they have a lot of expertise in B2B tech. Um, so I think from a just networking community and expertise perspective, they, they really understand the type of business that we're trying to build. Uh, and of course there were great, uh, feedback from other founders, Lear Hippo, Caitlin, uh, who's our lead there. She actually introduced me to Laney, who led the investment for craft. And, and, uh, I just happened to be in New York for like two days right as I was starting uh, the fundraising and we met for coffee and like very quickly that it happened. So <laughs> there wasn't a lot of like, Ooh, let's try to pit everybody against each other. I yeah. was really happy with the terms and the team and I wanted to work with craft. So it was just an easy decision and a very short process. So I'm very lucky for that.
0: Very cool. Um, yeah. Well, look at, looking forward to see uh, you know how you develop the uh, the company, obviously with the VCs you know behind you and uh, and and the capital. Um, uh, and and in terms of obviously what what the product does, right? And you, but you mentioned um, it's come about from this, these frameworks and processes that you had and you were implementing at Miro, and I think you know previously. Um, so for those that say they're not using and assuming like uh, m- majority of the listeners are not yet using Pando. Um, but in terms of the frameworks that you, you have, what can people, or what can you share, uh, that listeners can be doing to imp- improve and drive employee growth?
1: I mean, I think the, the main thing that companies sort of fall short on right now is making it clear to every employee that there is a path and this is what it looks like and that's clear and structured and they know that they have an opportunity to get to the next level i think most companies keep employees in the dark about that maybe they have a a leveling framework and everybody's in a level but employees don't know their level and, and they're not really using it in a strategic way to like create mobility and progression and excitement about your path i think that's a big shift that's happening um, with this whole great resignation, there's been like, we advise it. McKinsey did, did research and also advised to add more levels and leverage that as a way to, to really keep employees engaged and growing. I think mostly it's making sure they understand they have a path and then showing them and also like being accountable to actually progressing them so we we use and help companies essentially build leveling frameworks we encourage companies to use more levels because that creates that progression mobility we also help companies sort of then if you create more levels you can narrow comp bands which is more equitable but it also makes decisions around comp uh, comp and progression easier because it's like more narrow it's more transactional when you get to this level, this is what happens. And then really like thinking about roles and what are the competencies that people need to be performing uh, well in those roles to have the impact that they need to have at the company and also develop in their careers so that they can grow. I think in Europe, one of the bigger things that we're seeing with customers that we're working with is that they're it happens in the U.S. too, but I think it's more common that companies have already made the shift, but you have like these icy path that ends, you know, at this level. And then over here is the manager level. And so the other, the other big thing is to really create a true parallel path for individual contributors as well as managers so that you're not forcing people to become managers if they don't want to be managers or if they're not good at the manager skill and really convey that, an individual contributor path is very important, and you can continue to build your skill set and your career at the company. It's not better or worse than being a manager; it's just different. And so, this is something I'm seeing companies start to adopt in Europe. But it's definitely a little bit—I um, would say a little bit behind from what I've seen in the U.S. But a lot of companies in the U.S. also haven't adopted it because I think ultimately having pay parity between, you know, a level five IC and a level five manager is when you really have that, like, true parallel path.
0: Being more transparent uh, or open with colleagues about that there is a path. Um, Yeah. And I can share uh, a quick anecdote that I I think, you know, a lot of people have probably experienced, right, but we had a top performer that we were thinking about, you know, for a leadership role, um, and we were thinking about um, her in that role, you know, in the very near future, uh, and then one day she caught us by surprise by you know resigning um, mm. and she'd you know taken a role or, or accepted a role at another company. Yeah. Um, and then we had a conversation, and she said, you, you know well, I didn't see that there was a path that you you know that i could I could go on to you know into a leadership position." Uh, yeah. I didn't see that was available. And we were like, well, we were thinking about it. It was like, well, yeah. okay, you, you, can't read, you can't read our minds. Um, yeah. Actually, and then luckily it, it, it turned out well because we we managed to, um, you know, convince her. her to stay because actually what she did really want was that leadership role. She yeah. just didn't know that it was there. And we, we hadn't, you, you know, we hadn't given them that, uh, you, you know, shared that the path was there and, and how you get there. And so it was a good lesson for us um, yeah. uh, on that one.
1: It's an easy thing to fix. I think the fear is that, like, if you share that, employees will think, oh, it's a checklist and I just have to tick off these boxes and then I get my promotion. But I think that's where there's kind of the cultural shift around well, there is a feedback loop between the manager and the employee, and it should be transparent and it should be clear what's expected. And the goal of the manager is to develop that employee and to make them successful and to get them to progress. Like you want employees to progress and develop in your org. You don't want to like keep them in their same level or like manage them out. I mean, the idea is how do we hire the best people? How do we develop them? How do we keep them growing? Because the more they grow, the better the business is going to do.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And so earlier you shared, I mean, some of the things – that you're doing in in order to kind of, you know, grow the business. Uh, you talk about, you know, the target account lists and you know, looking for these customers that also, you, you know, they're not only going to uh, use the product, but kind of have that kind of same sort of mindset. Um, but like, if we look at the next sort of 12 months, and now with the, uh, I, I, I don't know if it's still 7 million in the bank. Um, but uh, in terms of, what, what you're doing to uh, to get to where you need to be in 12 months' time. I don't know what that looks like, um, and I don't know what you can share, like where you want to be in 12 months' time. Um, but uh, what are maybe one of the two big things that you're doing to to really kind of grow Pando to be where it needs to be, uh, you know, in 12 months' time?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think first we've hired across the functions, so we're really set up as a team already, Um, we have head of marketing, head of sales, head of customer success, head of design, head of product, head of engineering. We also have like a people ops lead. So we're really set up from a leadership perspective. Um, We have more hiring to do in each of those teams, but we've also set up kind of technical infrastructure. So in terms of getting HubSpot up and running, preparing customer success to be able to scale to a lot of customers onboarding at the same time, um having engineering processes and all of that set up. So that's where we've spent a lot of time uh, really beefing up the foundation, I would say, before we go into this kind of scale mode. Obviously, we're still very early stage, but within the next 12 months, we want to be at around a million in ARR. So we're planning to grow as quickly as we can. Um, I think from a marketing and sales perspective, as I mentioned, that sort of go-to-market strategy uh, with target accounts is gonna con- be consistent. I think we'll do a lot of community-based uh, marketing initiatives. Events, I believe, will be a big, um, a big uh, channel for us because people like want to get back together and see each other, and those are very specific communities that we can tap into. And then I think like thought leadership and content obviously is gonna be. Huge, not just from a long tail sort of organic perspective, but also really helping companies understand sort of the trends and where this all of this stuff is going and what they need to do in order to be set up to make sure they keep the talent that they have and keep developing it. Um, I think for us also with these career frameworks and competencies, we have a big opportunity which we'll experiment with, um, which is self-serve uh, and having templates and uh, frameworks that you can, you know, onboard as a head of design or head of engineering and and sort of a, experiment with land and expand from that perspective. Most of the sales today are really HR top-down kind of full company rollout. And I think there's an opportunity to do, kind of well what we did at Miro, which was bottoms up and top down i think it doesn't work for every type of business but this is one that i think this is a model i think could work with pando because you really want that adoption and that advocacy within the organization and and you can get that through managers and their teams using the system
0: very cool well um i'm i'm, I'm sure you'll do it uh, uh and, and looking forward to uh, sort of track that so 1 million uh aro in 12 months um We'll hold you accountable uh, okay. and uh, we'll come back for that. Um, <laughs> uh, moving from Pando to, to you, um, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned over your career uh, to date? Uh, maybe one or, or two that you could share.
1: I mean, people obviously are the most important. I guess there's no surprise there. I'm building a product in the people space, but I also think uh, Like having a really strong network and nurturing people for a very long time. So I think hiring is one of my superpowers. I have an amazing team. They're all really, really good. But I also nurtured people. My head of marketing, for example, I brought on in January, but I started talking to her a year before. I knew I didn't need a head of marketing until I raised my seed round but I wanted her to be my head of marketing and she had another job and I just like nurtured her for an entire year so that when I was ready, she was also ready and she took the job and started. So I think like really building and fostering a, a strong network of talent around you that's in all different spaces, design, engineering, sales, marketing, I think is really, really important. Um and you know, being being an authentic leader, not sweating the small stuff like nothing that we're really doing is life, life and death. And if if something happens or somebody makes a mistake, it's like, yeah, help them grow from it and move on.
0: <laughs> what What is the the biggest challenge so far in uh, in being a CEO?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's just being alone or feeling alone, at least like you, I don't have any co-founders either. So I am kind of solo. I've built an amazing team around me, so I'm not really solo, but you have that feeling. I think um, the other big piece is just recognizing like the power that you have as a CEO or how that's perceived with employees. I remember throughout my career, As a CMO, having people on my team go talk to the CEO and then coming out and being like, okay, I have to do all this. And it's like, well, just because you had that meeting and they had some ideas doesn't mean you actually have to like run with it. So I think really keeping myself in check with that and realizing, you know, that stuff I say and the way that I behave is really perceived in a very different light now as like the head of the company this is, yeah, this is, this is a a fun thing, but also something that I think everybody should be mindful of in terms of how you're interacting with people on the team.
0: No, definitely. And and what do you do to improve yourself uh, as a CEO and uh, as leader of the business?
1: Well, I mean, feedback, asking people for feedback, just because you're the CEO doesn't mean you shouldn't get it or ask for it from anybody at the company. Uh, so I definitely encourage that I have an executive coach. Um, I've also built like a community, a small community of other CEOs and founders that I meet with pretty regularly or that I can call when I have just something that I need to vent about or discuss or just talk through. Um, and that's been really helpful to have, you know, other perspectives that are not like close to the issue to help sort of guide through that. I think continued education and as many ways as you can get it is helpful. Um, So I try to do it in, yeah, a lot of different ways.
0: Awesome. A hundred percent agree with that. Um, And and what about in terms of staying healthy and sane? Like what do you, uh, what, what do you do around that?
1: I mean, Honestly, I'm so happy. Like, I love my job. I feel the least stressed I've been. And I think that's because I, like, really feel like I'm on my path. Obviously, I work way more than I ever worked. I mean, I've always worked a lot, but this is, like, next level. Um, I will say being in Amsterdam with most of my team on the West Coast is kind of helpful because I really do get sleep, which is weird uh, because I don't really start meetings until maybe three o'clock in the afternoon. So I kind of work a night, a night shift, but I actually do get a lot of sleep, um, which is really, really fortunate. (laughs) Uh, I travel and I play tennis. So I think it's just, you know, balancing all the things sleeping is probably the best.
0: How how many hours sleep do you get? And as a venture back company, just curious because <laughs> as you said you worked a lot, how many hours a week do you work?
1: Oh, I mean, I I can work you know ten to fourteen hours in a day, but I also can sleep like eight to nine hours. So I feel like it's reasonably balanced.
0: <laughs> yeah, very good. My my body won't allow me to sleep more than eight hours. So There's just a, something. Biological, uh, uh, very difficult to do, but um, but yeah. Well, I'm eight is eight good eight, though.
1: It's perfect. Eight,
0: eight is good. Eight yeah. is good. I, I do try to go to bed these days nine thirty, uh, sort of PM, and then wake. I'm an early riser, so like you know five thirty, uh, wow. and I've got my eight hours. So. I get, i've got to get shit done before the kids wake up uh or i yeah. think i have to get shit done before the kids wake up <laughs> so that that's kind of my reason if i didn't have kids i'd probably go to bed later but
1: uh yeah uh, I, I do yeah our, um, we we don't go to bed till like i think last night it was like 2 a.m so oh, well, yeah. it's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. it's a different um, a different yeah a different cycle
0: and so you're uh, speaking at Sassock in Dublin this October. So very excited for that back in person events back in person uh, this year after excited. a couple of years um, of, of of being remote. Um, any thoughts yet on, on what you'll be talking about? I know it's quite early.
1: I mean, it depends on what the audience wants. I think I can. There's several things I'm interested to talk about, and I think would be relevant to a lot of scaling companies. So attracting and retaining talent through career pathing or optimizing what we call the employee lifetime value through structured career progression. So like, how are you, you know, increasing the value of every employee that you hire, um, or this concept of just in time promotions and really moving your people operations into the age of agile. (laughs) So there's several options. Maybe we awesome. can get some feedback and see what people are excited about.
0: Yeah, please do uh, <laughs> give us feedback if you like uh, uh, any of those options. Um, and uh, my colleague David, uh, I think, uh, is, I think, reached out uh, today yeah, to be yeah, speaking uh, uh, soon, uh, and, <laughs> in, in terms of picking those topics. Um, but excited to do that and, and see you in person. Um, you know, in uh, in October, yeah, very uh, Barbara. Where can people find you online and Pando uh, online if they're curious to to look at the products?
1: I am mostly on LinkedIn, uh, so that's the best place to find me. And then Pando, it's pretty straightforward, Pando.com.
0: Awesome. Good stuff. Very easy to straightforward. Yeah. Nice no one. Yeah. Uh, well, Barbara, uh, thanks so much for being on the, the SAS Revolution show today and sharing with the SAS doc community. Really appreciate it. Great speaking to you and great learning from you.
1: It was wonderful. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the SAS Revolution show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDoc conferences around the world.